At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Many of us often wonder if going to church is worth it. But what if we told you God has a beautiful design for the church that very much includes you? The book of 1 Timothy speaks to these truths. And if each of us submits to them, our church will function as the loving family God intends. Join us this week as we look at the answers to the question, Church, why bother? Blessing and just coming straight from Scripture in the book of Numbers. And, you know, I think about the baptisms that we witnessed this morning. We had one at our first service and one at our second service. And these are things that we can just celebrate because ultimately our purpose and our mission as a church is to go make disciples of all the nations, right? Like the end goal is everyone to be saved, no matter where they are in their walk, no matter how far they might seem, the mission is for everyone to be saved. And that's something that, that I've always loved about this church because that mission is real and we're seeing it and we're living in it. And many of us, even in this room, this time last year, we weren't here or we were far from God or maybe we were even in a place where we didn't even believe in God anymore or had some real questions, some real doubts. And I believe God has been drawing, drawing so many to his church, not just at this church, but churches around our world and, and there's been revival happening and that's something that we give God all the glory for and how he moves and I think here at this church I've been here almost a year isn't that crazy almost a year yes <laughs> did I hear a boo <laughs> almost a year and I remember Arriving here and just being so impressed with the grit, with the passion, and the desire for people to know Christ and to go deeper. And, and we've seen that over this last year. We, we've really witnessed people giving their lives to Christ, children being discipled and growing in the Word, couples coming together and growing in, in community. And that's something you pray and everyone wants to be a part of a church that's growing and developing. And, and it's ironic because it's actually created some obstacles for us. We have every single room open in our children's department now. Everyone. Every single room is open and we got volunteers. Praise God, our team does an incredible job uh, being able to pour into the children and get our teams ready. And, and so we have every single room open. And, and so we're seeing each week at almost full capacity, in some weeks at full capacity. I was talking with Dawn, and she's one of our children's directors, and she said a couple weeks ago it broke her heart. They were so full, they actually had to turn three people away because they didn't have enough room in the room uh, and fire code and volunteers. And so we've been able to see so much growth and people entrusting us with their kids. Other thing that we've seen is uh, our limited parking lot. Our parking lot, if you've been here, and most of you, when you're here at an 11 o'clock service, 
people are parking on the side and the back and there's a line getting in or leaving and finding a spot. And, and I was talking to an elder of Woodside uh, and he goes to Woodside Troy and he was actually preaching at the Woodside Algonac campus and he was driving through Chesterfield and, and he actually had preached here last year and he saw the 11 o'clock service and, and he saw every spot taken he saw cars wrapped around. He saw cars in the back. He said, my jaw dropped, and I looked at my wife, and then we looked to God and just praised him for what he was doing and what he's doing at Chesterfield. It's incredible. And I was looking back at some things right when I started, a little before, and just to put this into perspective, because sometimes it's hard to measure this, and maybe you even notice we've added more chairs in this room, and last year, the church average for attendance was about 270 for the whole year, and for the last month, we've been averaging 500 people here at our church, so nearly doubled in a year. Praise God. And, and, and here's the thing, because that's a trigger word for me. Numbers don't matter. People matter. Souls matter. We don't just want people to warm these seats. We want them engaged and growing and breaking from sin and giving their lives to Christ and getting in a group and serving. We don't just want people to show up in a room. We want more. We want to be a family. And so those 500 people and the people that have come, we, we don't just want you to just be around. We want to be in your life. We want to be intrusive. We, we want to know you. We want to love your kids. We want to love your families. And so we want more and we want to reach more and we give God all the credit for that. I always say it's like a wave. We're just riding his wave. It's his wave. He's moving. I'm just rocking on a surfboard, which I'm not that coordinated. But here's the thing. Because of these things, because of our limitations in our children's uh, capacities, limitations with our parking lot, and actually the least of our worries is our auditorium. <laughs> We're actually starting March 17th, adding an additional service. Yes, we're going to be adding a third service. And uh, hopefully this will give people more of an opportunity to be part of our family, get connected, and even, even out some of those services. So I know someone's going to mess this up. So what day are we launching our third service? I heard 13th over there. 17th. It's March 19th. <laughs> someone's going to show up and be like, hey, I thought there was another service. No, it's March 19th. So we got a month. Before we start our third service, and is it 17th? It's 19th, right? <laughs> Seventh, okay, okay. All right. Um, give me a solo at this point. I need to get them off track. Okay, so here's the thing. <laughs> All right. <laughs> the service times. 8.30, 10, and 11.30, all right? So starting next month, it's going to be 8.30, 10, and 11.30. Those are going to be our services, and we're super excited for what God is going to do as we add that additional service. And hey, maybe the next thing we do is just get a new building, right? That'll be nice. 
So with that being said, uh, one of our elders, Bill, he developed this six-week teaching series on generosity. And so we're doing these little two to three-minute discussions on what generosity is. And all this, adding services, having staff, keeping the lights on, that stuff's important to generosity, but it's so much deeper than just those things. And he was sharing, you know, I went to Bible college and they don't teach you how to teach on generosity and and be structured in teaching these principles. And so he was saying, man, I would love for us to have some time to educate on the principles of generosity. And really there's six principles that we see on generosity that us Christians are called to understand and possess. And the first one is this, and, and this is important, because we see generosity is part of worship just as much as singing, just as much as communion, just as much as, as hearing the message or praying. That generosity is a posture of worship that we see in our churches. A uh, second thing we see, a biblical principle, is we give in proportion to what God ha- has given us. So whether we're in, in our own eyes or not in our own eyes, wealthy or relatively poverty stricken, it's based on the heart and what we see is God challenging us and working with us to give. And then we see the third thing is we're called to give cheerfully and not under compulsion. So I I, I hear that and I think about gratefulness and being grateful and truly understanding how God has provided for us, and the blessings and the joys that come with cheerfully giving. Uh, Fourth thing is we give, and it will be given to us. We see in Luke 6.38 that when we give and when we sow freely, we we reap freely. And and that's not a a prosperity gospel kind of conversation, like, hey, give, and then you're winning the lotto. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is that when we give generously, that God is faithful to care for us and to bless us, maybe in temporal needs, but definitely with eternal needs. The the fifth thing we see is we give to the needy, and, and we do so in private. I wish at times I could share stories of the men and women who give in ways to people in this church, outside this church, to the world, and and they don't want anyone to know. They're radically generous, and and they don't want any glory, any praise, but they see that as a gift that God has given them to be generous to those in need who, who don't have. And then the final thing is to give generously and rely on God, not on wealth. And I think this is why we see in the New Testament money, wealth, generosity, talked about so often because God knew that that we would have a, a false idol in putting our comfort in what we have, having a false idol in the things that we believe are our protectors. And so he talks about training us in generosity, training us to break down these false idols in our life so, so we don't have these, these crippling sins that keep us away from putting our full trust in him, our full surrender in him. So, so these are the six principles that we want to touch on this week. And then the next four weeks, we'll touch on them in a little more detail. So at this point, I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to jump into the message.
God, again, thank you so much for this morning and being able to celebrate that we will be able to have a third opportunity for our community to hear the gospel, to get connected, to know you in a way that maybe they've never known. And Father, I thank you that uh, this is possible because of the people in this room and the generosity that they've showed that we can be a church that has children's programs and has a facility to rent and you know, we can pay the electric bill and staff, and God, to that, we are just so grateful for the continual generosity of our church. And I pray as well as we continue this series, Father, speak to our hearts, open our hearts, and let there be something that we need to take this, this morning that we can apply to our lives. Pray this all in your name. Amen. Okay, I talk a lot about my big, fat Greek family that I grew up in, and if you know... I grew up with a lot of people that made a lot of noise, and they were my Greek family. I had my tata and my sido, and man, it was an experience. 20 years ago, when everyone was alive, everyone was healthy, it, it was like a circus in so many ways. And, and I loved when we got together and gathered because it was just something, there's something about being with family. But if you guys know about large family gatherings, it takes work, right? This last uh, new year, we actually went down to Orlando, and we went down to Orlando. We had a family reunion, and we stayed in this, this large home with everyone. There were 30 people there, one home. And out of that 30, 11 of them were 11 years or younger. We had newborn babies. We had little toddlers running around. We had my kids that, who, know, who knows what they were doing? But, but they were all there, and it was quite the experience, right? But whenever you get families together like this, it, it takes work. It takes a lot of a planning in advance. So the invite went out months and months in advance. People had to work around their schedules. We had five different states of people coming, so they had to figure out flight plans, arrivals, departures, uh, when we got there, they had already had it scheduled who was staying in what room. So we got there, we got to the front door, and they said, okay, you're upstairs down the hall to the left. Because they're working out logistically, okay, we need rooms for the little babies that are dark and they can have nap time and not be bothered. We have to have rooms that are big enough for the ones who have kids. Uh, we got some newlyweds, where are we going to throw them people, right? And so they're, they're thinking through all these logistics. And so we get there and they're telling us what we need, what we need to do. And so they're saying, okay, up there, and then here's the menu plan, and these are some of the activities we have going on. And... It, it takes some work, right? And, and some of you have been that planner for your families and you've got it scheduled. And, and I think it's very important when working through uh, all this to understand that behind the curtain, there's a lot of personalities. There's a lot of chiefs. <laughs> and, and sometimes we just need some followers, right? And so you got opinions and all that. And so I was thinking about that. And I was thinking about that experience. That's the church. Isn't that the church? Different personalities, different opinions, different lives, different socioeconomics, different educations. And yet in our entire entirety of our complicated selves, we are 
the church. And somehow we gather together and we do all of this for one purpose, to bring God glory. We do this because in our complicated state, Christ has impacted each and every one of us in his, in his own way in the season of life we're in. And, and so I think about that. How do we address how do we address the challenges that come from the many types of people in the church? Because, yeah, we're all under the banner of Christ, but, but how do we make this work? Again, with the different cultures and, and generations, how do we bring this together? And, and we see in 1 Timothy chapter 5 that, that Paul is giving Timothy some advice. And we've been talking to 1 Timothy and church, why bother? And what's the point of church? I mean, what's the point of being here? And so he's giving advice to Timothy. And remember, Timothy, in the eyes of the culture, he was, he was like a youth. Even though he was in his 30s, anyone younger than 40 was considered youth. So I'm considered young, which is awesome. And, and so he was considered youth. So now Paul is guiding him, uh, teaching him, giving him some wisdom. How do you interact with others? How do you work with others? How do you guide them in what it looks like to be church? And so we see here in the church of Ephesus, they needed order. And in some ways they needed correction. And since the church is not just an object or a system or a series of widgets that need to be structured or repositioned, the church is a gathering of people that have value and dignity. And so the concept that Paul gives us is that the church relates as a family of God. How do we relate? We relate as a family of God. And so how we relate as a family God, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about the how. If we relate as a family of God, these are the ways that we do relate. This is how we relate. This is some things practically we do. And the first thing we see in 1 Timothy chapter 5 is that we treat one another with honor. That's what we're called to do. We're called to treat one another with other. Let's look at the first couple of verses of chapter 5. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity, honor widows who are truly widows. So what we see here is that Paul is giving Timothy some principles for how to treat others. And so in this case, he's saying we are called to honor others and, and show that in the sense of being a family. And so you think about in a healthy family, that is a place where it is safe and it's nurturing. It's an environment where we can disciple and grow. So some of us, if we're parents, we want to create a safe environment, a stable environment, a nurturing environment, so our kids can grow 
and grow in their faith and grow as citizens of the United States and be productive people in the workforce and be servants in the church. We want to make that the place where they grow. And so in the family, the, the biological family, that's where that happens. And then you have the church family. And so in the church, what we want to do is create an environment that is safe, that is nurturing for us as a church to grow. So if you come up to Pastor Winston and you say, oh, Pastor, I'm, I'm struggling with this. I'm like, that's embarrassing. Is that safe? No? And I'm like, get him out of here, security. You know, like, that is not safe or nurturing. That, that's brash. That's judgmental. It would be a, hey, let, let's work through this. Let, let's find ways that we can navigate through this. Let's create a plan. You know, let's pray through this. Let's meet up. We want to create an environment for people to actually grow. Well, let's talk about the elephant in the room. Some of us, when we say, let's be a church family and nurture and, and, and care for one another and be safe and loving, we don't know what that looks like because we haven't experienced that ourselves. Some of us, we have no clue because our Father never said a good thing to us. Some of us don't know because we never lived up to mom's bar. We just never felt like we were good enough. Some of us, we, we never felt loved because dad didn't stick around. Because of the traumas and the abuses that we lived, we say, what is that church family? You know, how am I supposed to be this loving, nurturing person or even accept that when I don't even know what that looks like? And then we have those who have had that but haven't had a church environment that is safe and nurturing. We've had a church that's more brash and harsh and judgmental and, and maybe even uh, legalistic, and, and you didn't feel that you had that love. You didn't feel safe. You didn't feel that you could go to them and they would help and serve you and work through things. And so whether you've witnessed that in your biological family or your church family, my prayer today is that God can transform the distortions that you've experienced. That you can not allow those things to sink into your soul, but he can change them and maneuver them so we don't have to live in that state where those traumas continue to live because God has designed the family as a place where we can grow and we can be nurtured. And it doesn't matter what we have went through or what we're struggling through. Those are areas where we can find that assistance. And so part of that leadership that, that Timothy was working through was he would need to address some situations that, that needed correction. That Paul was saying, hey, you know, it, whether you're going to an older man or a younger man or woman, or, there was correction needed. And so how do you approach that? With honor. We are called as a church to approach one another with honor. I know a place where there's no honor, 696. <laughs> so even if we're in this building or on the road, we are supposed to approach one another with honor. 
younger men to older men, respecting their age, respecting their wisdom. Older men looking at younger men and not being patronizing or, or, or overpowering, but giving them a voice. Older women approaching them as mothers, respecting them, honoring them. Younger women, not exasperating, but speaking with them in wisdom and love. This is how we are called to approach others with honor. You know, the Holy Spirit is the parakletos. And that means the the comforter. So we know the, the parakletos is the comforter, and the paraclesis is the comfort that comes along with strength. And we are commanded and led and encouraged to be that paraclesis to one another, to come along one another and strengthen and build each other up. And hopefully some people will do that with us as well. And that is huge because even with the generations and the different worlds, from the, from the boomers to those, those millennials, the world would be better. <laughs> to now I'm a, I'm a millennial and I'm looking at Gen Z and I'm like, those Gen Zs, you know, they messed it up. Why do I sound like that, by the way? <laughs> I need better voices, okay? Okay. <laughs> Sometimes I listen back to my sermons. I'm like, don't do that again. And then I do it, okay? So... Regret is real. But the thing is this. No matter what generations, from boomers to millennials to Gen Z, we are called to honor one another. Don't degrade one another. We're all unique, and we have dignity, and we have distinction. Love this quote. How much grief the modern church could have been spared had this reality been taken to heart by its leaders. How beautiful is the church that has people who know who they are and treat one another as fathers, as mothers, as brothers, and as sisters. I want to do something unique here. Everyone's going to get very uncomfortable. (laughs) I want us to take a moment, and I want us to look around the room, okay? Everyone just take a moment, look at your neighbor, no staring down that person that you saw on 696, okay? And and single guys, you're not getting a date now, okay? No winking. (laughs) Just look around the room. And what do you see? We see different genders. We see different ages. We, We see diversity in culture. In socioeconomics, in education, and in, in traditions, in skills, in backgrounds, some of you, your mommies had you, and you were in church the next Sunday, and now you're quoting Greek and sending me emails on Monday. You were wrong, Pastor, on this one, okay? <laughs> some of you, you've been here two weeks, and you've never heard the name of Christ. And yet we are all a family. We're a church. And we don't look down on someone because they're a mile down the road. And we don't just idolize someone because they're a thousand miles down the road. If we were all a thousand miles down the road, then no one at mile marker one would feel comfortable walking in these doors. 
But at the same, po- at the same point, we don't want to stay one mile down the road. We want to keep growing and being developed and know his word and know his love and know what it means to belong. And in our uniqueness, God has gathered us as a spiritual family. And I love it because whether we're, we've been here a month or we've been here 10 years, the goal is all the same, that we give our lives to Christ, that we grow in community, we grow in the word, and we go reach the world for Christ. We want other, people's to, other people to be part of that with us. And so I think whether married, single, young, a senior citizen, we are all a church together. And the church, we treat each other with honor. We treat each other with dignity. A second thing we see on how we can move towards being a church family is we care for one another with discernment. And so this is a point where I actually love this. It's a lot, so you're going to have to follow along. If you have a physical Bible, I want to encourage you to open it, read it, bring it each week. We'll also have it up here on the screen. And we're going to talk about widows. And this specific section is, is from Paul to Timothy on how to care for a vulnerable group of people in the church. And he does it in a lengthy and complex instruction, but it shows us how do we care for a vulnerable group of people that are within our church family. And so let's jump into verse 3. This is what it says. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if widow has children or grandchildren... Let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But may, she may, uh, the one who goes away, may be self-indulgent and dead even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she's not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, and having a reputation of good works. If she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality and washed the feet of the saints, if she has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, but refused to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So we read all this, and the gist, the 10,000 feet up truth, is that there's no doubt that caring for widows is important to God. So much so that he takes a large chunk of this chapter to to talk through it and talk through it in detail. And he acknowledges, and in the commandment, the fifth commandment is to honor your father and mother. And throughout the scripture, there's acknowledgement that women who, who lose their husbands are especially vulnerable. And in James 1.27, even as well, it says religion 
is that a pure and undefiled before God is to visit orphans and, wis- and widows in their affliction. So we see here that it is our duty as a church to understand how we care for a vulnerable group within our church. So there's four different groups in here. We have the older faithful widows who have no relatives to support them. This type of widow relies on God. Their husbands have passed, but they still don't allow that to stop them from serving. It's not like, okay, my husband passed, I'm done being a servant of the Lord. No, they continue on. Then the older faithful widows who have family, and their families, are, it's their duty to care and honor their mother. Then there's unfaithful widows, and apparently those are a group of widows who choose to take this time just to, to wander away, to do whatever they want, to fall into sin. And we see here that they're described as idlers, as gossips, as busybodies, and they're described as spiritually dead. And we are called to honor them, but we honor them by confronting them, by saying, hey, you are a mother or a sister And we call them back to faithful living to God. And then there's the younger widows. And these younger widows, they have the hope of of being remarried. And Paul advised them to do so. And he advised them that they have no obligation to remain single, but they can continue on and be married in the future if they desire. And the gist is this. Widows matter. This vulnerable group matters to God, and they are still used by God in mighty ways. I think about a widow that I knew from a prior minister. Her name was Dolores Coulter. And Dolores Coulter, she was maybe five foot tall, 100 pounds soaking wet, and she would walk by with her cane, and she would have these like drive-by statements. She'd be like, Eh, okay sermon today, pastor. I'm like, whoa, Dolores. You know, you always knew where you stood with Dolores. Oh, that was a stand-up double. I'll give you that, you know. And, and she would just walk by, make a comment, and keep moving. But then she would also be so encouraging. She led this widow's ministry. She led it for over 10 years. And this widow ministry, they would get together every week. They would pray. They would write letters to people who were sick or struggling. They would visit people in hospitals. They would, um, one of the things I would love is we would bring in uh, students. And when we bring students in uh, to share their story, to share their testimonies, they would, they would be like, all right. They would scholarship them for their next camp. Some of them, they were like, this is my gift, write a check. And she did not allow the passing of her husband from stopping her from being used by God. She continued, and she continued to be used in mighty ways. And it was kind of the joke around the church because everyone loved Dolores. She, she spoke truth. She was a firecracker, but you knew that this person loved the Lord. And so we are called to honor everyone and to care for one another with, with discernment. The last point we see is we fulfill our responsibility, we, we fulfill it with faithfulness. This is what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 14 through 16. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. 
For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. That's the answer we have there. Why all this? Why the instruction? Why all the guidance? Why all the sizable space in this chapter? It's so we can truly care for widows indeed. In a a society where the answer in a lot of ways is, hey, let's go to the government and let's, let's have the government pay. Let's have the government subsidize. We have the church that is saying, hey, we want to care for the ones who are truly widows. If we have widows who have family, let the family care for them. If we have widows who have nieces and nephews, let the family care for them. But if we have widows indeed, we want to care for you. We want to come around you. Because you think about it. You know, any resource that even the church has has some limited capacity to it, right? You know, with us, we have our Deacon Benevolence Fund, which probably every couple months someone comes forward and like, hey, I I can't pay this bill, or or I'm struggling in this area, or uh, we have our food pantry that that happens twice a month. And and so we have these areas that we can come around and support our church. And, And even part of what we do here and part of the generosity is to take care of people and our leaders are discerning of how we can come around them in a great way. But it ultimately is, it can be so we can help those who are truly vulnerable. Because a gospel-shaped community has a priority to care for those who are truly in need. That's, that's one of our roles, to care for those truly in need. And I wish, I wish I could share some stories with you of men and women who, who do this in ways that they would be so upset if I ever shared a story about them from stage. We have people that are living it, that are doing it. And some of us, we're living it with our parents, with one of our parents, with our aunt, with our uncle. We are caring for them because they don't have that support system. Jesus' followers, they learned from him that the Father's heart was for the vulnerable and for the marginalized. This was something that his heart was for. The, the compassion that he had for those who seemed to be lost in the shuffle. And so much so that he was, he was consumed when he went to the temple. And he saw what they were doing with the, the people dropping money to, to sound more important. And, and hearing the clink and the noise. And then a, using that widow who just even had merely a penny to her name. And he saw these abuses. And he started flipping tables. (laughs) Because he wanted to care for those who were neglected. He wanted to care for those who just didn't have the support. The especially vulnerable. And I was thinking about Dolores. And one thing that I loved about Dolores, she, she passed away a couple years ago. And I was talking to her daughter and her son-in-law. 
And their whole family attended the church. Her, her son-in-law is an elder. He would drive around the church bus uh, for the youth camps. And, and her daughter, uh, she would be the cook. She would cook meals for hundreds and, and thousands. And, and whether it was uh, funerals or weddings, she was just such a servant of the Lord. And their grandkids, they were very connected. And you saw them running around uh, every week. And I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about Dolores, someone a few words, someone brash, <laughs> truthful. But her life spoke volumes, not just to her family, but us. And we got to see the fruit of her life, because so often the talk, there's a lot of talk, but our life, how we live and how we care, the actions are what speak. And how she ministered and cared and didn't just say, oh, my, my husband passed. I'm just going to become a shell of who I was. No, she continued and said, why not? Not just serving, but leading and guiding and having vision. And the fruit of it, you got to see with her family and her children and her grandchildren. And so whether we are you know, in a situation where we're the widow or we're the one caring for the widow, or aunt or uncle, or this is all foreign, and we're just like, man, I'm not at that phase of life yet. The church relates to one another as family, and we honor one another, and we love one another. And so I want to challenge us as we walk out to think through, how, how can I serve someone who's truly vulnerable in need, loving them? Maybe it's getting connected with the food pantry, Maybe it's creating a ministry to minister to those who are marginalized in our community. But I believe God has something special that he wants to continue doing here. Let's go into prayer. God, I just want to pray right now as I think about those who are consumed taking care of parents or grandparents taking care of those in their family that it just, it, it costs time and energy. But we know that we cannot outgive you. That you will find that there's great joy. We'll find that there's great joy in embracing your heart for those in need. To us as a church, I want, I want us to understand, are we being faithful to you, Jesus? Do we desire to care for those who are widows among us? Do we seek your heart and how you're calling us to meet those needs? God, I know family is complex, especially the family of God. It's not easy to faithfully demonstrate your love across generations and, and genders and life situations. You know, we're, we're prone to become more like the world and focus on our own lives and our own desires. And the marginalized, we might think they slow us down because they have neediness. I pray that we don't see the world like this. That we're called to honor one another, to care for one another, and fulfill our responsibility in serving your family faithfully. We love you, Father. We pray this all in your name. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself today.